right, good evening again. Um, if you haven't been with us in a while, we've been studying 1 Corinthians. That's why you have scripture notebooks. Um, and so with that, I want you to get to 1 Corinthians 6. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, to start off, I want to ask this question. You know, How many of you have ever had the flu? How many of you have ever had the flu? Yeah? What was, what was some of the symptoms? Who had it, like the flu like really, really bad? That you would say the flu was like almost one of the worst things you've ever gotten in your entire life. What, what was kind of the symptoms that you were experiencing, Jack? Yeah, a lot of nausea, like just not feeling good, like you want to throw up all the time, yeah. Who's had the flu and, you know, it wasn't even that bad. You're like, I feel a little sick, maybe a little bit of a head cold, but not, not like overly awful. Matt, what was some of those symptoms? Just tired, yeah. So the same disease can cause a symptom as small, I shouldn't say as small, but as on a scale of I'm just a little bit of fatigued and tired to I'm nauseous almost all the time, and I just want to puke. Uh, according to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, there are actually eight different symptoms that people could feel if they have the flu. We have fever, cough, sore throat, runny nose or stuffy nose, muscle or body aches, headaches, fatigue, and some people may have vomiting and diarrhea, even though that's more common in children rather than adults. The flu is just one example of an illness revealing itself in multiple ways. And like how an illness has multiple symptoms, I would like to also compare that to sin has multiple ways that it can reveal itself. For example, in 1 Corinthians, we've been uh, seeing pride, how it's shown itself in two ways. If you were here at all in the last six weeks, five, four weeks, we saw that pride showed itself as, uh, first and foremost, a vision in the church, um, as Corinthians had uh, a pride issue of having their primary identity not rooted in Jesus. They were putting their primary identity in another human being. And then we also saw uh, pride uh, ex express itself in their willingness to accept uh, the unrepentant, sexual, immoral man that we talked about last week. And so we see pride in those two ways. And then in tonight's lesson, we're going to see pride reveal itself in two more ways. Uh, two more ways of having pride uh, and always having to be uh, having their way. We're going to see the Corinthians struggle with this uh, in this passage. They always need to have their way um, instead of uh, glorifying God. And we're going to see tonight how the Corinthians struggle with having pride by putting their bodily desires above glorifying God. So those are the two main bullet points that we're going to hit tonight. So let's get into our lesson. If you have your scripture notebooks open, please meet me in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. If you do not have your scripture notebook, I do have the verses on the screen. So 1 Corinthians 6, uh, chapter 6, rather, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute against another, actually, let's pause here and just remind ourselves, have your pens ready, underline any phrase, circle any words that is unclear, interesting, or that you have questions about that you can ask your small group leader after the lesson is done. If you don't have your scripture notebook, write down verse numbers that you can reference back to if anything seems unclear. So let's start back. Verse one. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? 
If the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as, as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers. As it is to have legal disputes against one another, it is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we're just going to pause there for a moment. And I, uh, if you had not already underlined this, I want you to underline verse 7. Or if you're taking notes, I want you to reference verse 7. Now, remember, we have Scripture notebooks. We have the words on the screen. So we should not need our phones for anything. So if you have a phone, please put it away. I want you to underline verse 7. I want you to reference this, if you don't have this in your scripture notebook, the first six, and I'm going to explain why, the first six verses of this chapter, Paul is rebuking the action of uh, two believers going to court against one another. Apparently, there are situations in the church where you have two people that go to church together that can't agree and actually have to take it to a court, a civil court. And I would suggest his rebuke is as strong here as his rebuke to the church in chapter 5 for the lack of disciplining the guy who had sexual relations with his stepmom. Now, Paul is trying to get the attention of the Corinthians. This is a big deal for him. And I had you underline verse 7 because it's here that Paul exposes the pride of the Corinthians. I mean, verse 7 says, As it is to have legal disputes against one another, it is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated. Now, when I read this phrase, it's already a defeat for you. I think of playing a game. I mean, think of the game that we were just playing, uh, Capture the Flag. I, I think of what it would look like if you had some teammates on your team decide already that they weren't going to try to run across and get the flag or guard your team's flag, and they just sat down and acted as if they were out of the game because they didn't want to participate. Like They, they just didn't want to help your team win. And in fact, you're playing a game with less people, and they just wanted to, to sit and do their own thing. It'd be as if they forgot or they didn't even care about what the goal of the game was. And this is an illustration of what's going on in the church at Corinth. Um, the, the Christians at Corinth forgot or just didn't want to follow the mission of, the, of a Christian, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. See, when this happens, um, we are a poor witness to the unsaved world. And that's why Paul is using this phrase of, it's already a defeat for you that you're divided, that you can't 
agree on things, that you can't get along so much so that you have to go outside the church to have things settled. He said, this is a poor witness to the unsaved world that you're supposed to be a new creation, that you are supposed to be somehow transformed by the gospel. And when this happens, Paul is saying that like, you're, you're letting your witness be defeated to unbelievers, that you are not glorifying God well. If our mission is to ex- advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Corinthian church was failing to do so. Now, we see, in, uh, we see this in verse 8, the, that there are uh, people in the Corinthian church who were cheating, and they were also doing wrong. Verse 8 says, instead, instead of just taking the short on the stick, Paul says, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to people inside the own church. You're doing this to your own brothers and sisters in Christ. And this brings us to our first point in our passage that having uh, that the Corinthians were struggling with. They were struggling with having pride and always having to have it their way above glorifying God. They struggled with this concept of having pride as it relates to always having to have their way above glorifying God. Now, this, apparently, this means that there were people who had to have it what they wanted, which meant either getting the better end of the deal or getting at least uh, an, an equal, and what they thought in their eyes, an equal deal. This means no one was willing to sacrifice. No one uh, was willing to say, you know what? This doesn't really matter in the long run. I know my identity is rooted in Christ. I Eternity in heaven as my inheritance you can take the better end of, of this situation. You can take this. It doesn't matter. No one was willing to do that. There was no thought of sacrifice. And Paul says that those who live in this way without repenting of it, without acknowledging it as sin, and only being worried about themselves, Paul actually says, and this is kind of harsh if you think about it, Paul says that uh, without acknowledging it as sin, repenting of this lifestyle, that, that person doesn't spend eternity with God in heaven. Like that sin, that attitude, he says, is if it doesn't, if no one repents of that sin, it reveals that their heart is really just focused about themselves and not about God, which reveals that that person's not saved. And eventually that person, when they die and never get saved, will end up in eternity without God in hell. It is a little chilly. Can you pump that up? Sorry. Yeah. It was hot at the beginning. I bumped it down. It's a little chilly now. I'm sure Amber, you're, you're loving it. You're a little cold. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I apologize. I apologize. Yeah, just open up all that. Yep. Okay, so this seems kind of harsh, but this reveals, though, the, the heart of this person that is only worried about themselves, is only worried about gaining what they can have, whether it's success, status, or financial gain. And this uh, brings us to uh, this next section here, because he, Paul then lists um, various sins after this. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit 
the people uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. And so he adds this aspect of always having to have your way, always only looking out for your own interests, as on par with all these other various lifestyles of sin, because all things, all those various lifestyles of sin and always having to have it your way, what they all have in common is that the person, the self-orientation is at the core of all of these. It's all about serving self instead of glorifying God. People are only looking out for their own benefit in this list of sexual sin lifestyles as well as only having to have it my way. You're only looking out for the benefit of yourself instead of glorifying God. Now, verse 11, back to our passage. Verse 11 is another verse I want you to underline or reference if you're taking notes. Um, So I would underline it if you haven't already. Verse 11, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to underline this verse because this verse indicates that there are people who have lived these lifestyles in their lives before confessing Christ as Savior of their sin and Lord of their lives. They used to live like this, but now they are washed clean. And what this means is now they are seen as righteous because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross and dying for our sins. It's because of this that Paul brings back to mind the reality of the Corinthians should be finding their identity in Christ. He calls them out on the pride that's dividing them, and he reminds them, hey, I want you to be reminded of your identity that needs to be rooted in Christ. And we've talked about that um, over the last several weeks of what that looks like and why that is important. Now, Paul then takes time to address another way pride has been living out in the Corinthian church, and this is our second point of tonight's lesson is that the Corinthians were having pride in in putting the bodily desires above glorifying God. The Corinthians were having pride in putting bodily desires above glorifying God. So let's read verses 12 through 20, the end of the, the chapter for this point. So, Pick up your scripture notebooks, open up to 1 Corinthians 6, and meet me in verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power, Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who commits sexual immoral sins sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Now, if you haven't already underlined, I want you to underline verse 12. Verse 12. In verse 12, there's this phrase that says, 
everything is permissible for me. And I want you to look at your scripture notebook really closely, or if you don't have a scripture notebook, look up at the screen. What do you notice around that phrase? There, there's what, What's around that phrase? Everything is permissible for me. What's around that phrase? Yes. They're quotation marks. So Paul's quoting somebody, right? If we, if we look, we see that Paul is quoting somebody, and, and most likely this is some, a saying that someone in the Corinthian church was starting to say a lot and spreading and causing the Corinthian church to think this way. Now, this, this phrase is kind of like a half-truth, which means on the, on the front end, we can affirm things to be true. It says, everything is permissible for me. Now, they were saying this because they're like, hey, we've been saved in Christ. We've been justified. We've been cleansed from our sins. We are seen as righteous before God. Christ fulfilled the law, so we don't have to fulfill the law. We can be assured in Christ that we are saved. We would say yes. Amen to that. So that's a truth that we would say yes to. But what the Corinthians were doing, they would be like, yes to this truth. That means I can go live however I want to live. God doesn't really care then about how I act since I've been justified. And that's where we would say, ah, that doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture. That, that, that's not true. And so it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, it's true, but depends on how you live it out. Because Paul then corrects that and says, in his words, but not everything is beneficial. So yes, you are free in Christ. You are saved. You will not experience wrath from God if you are saved. If you confess Him as Lord and Savior, you're justified and you're free. But that doesn't mean that everything is fair game as it means to glorify God. Because not everything is that way. There are still things that we can do to sin, and sin still grieves God. There are still consequences for our sinful actions. He writes, everything, though, is not beneficial. Now, next, next verse, I want you to underline again. This is kind of the same pattern. I want you to underline verse 13. What do you notice about verse 13? What, what's, around that, what's around verse 13? Same thing as verse 12. It's another set of quotations, right? Yes. So this, again, is another, we would say Paul is quoting some other person in the church that has been saying this line a lot. And it says, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, the same is kind of weird of like, why is Paul all of a sudden quoting something about food when he's actually talking about sexual temptation? Now, it's, it's a kind of a metaphor that uh, the people in Corinth were using. He's, the Corinthians were basically like, hey, my body needs food. And when I crave food, I'm going to eat. So therefore, I'm just going to satisfy my bodily craving. And they're using that same logic for my body craves a sexual experience. So therefore, I'm going to pursue that sexual experience to fulfill whatever sexual need I have. That's what the Corinthians are trying to do here. But Paul says no. Like, that's not, that's not also true. What you're saying is, it's like a half-truth. Yes, food helps you live, but you cannot correlate that to sexual experiences. He says, however, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, in, in, 
in this context, the sexual immorality that is happening, we see this, um, that what's happening is that uh, the Corinthians people in the town of Corinth are actually engaging in prostitution. Where this is going to be happening is at pagan temples. People are uh, thinking that they can are free in Christ, that they can engage in prostitution with temple prostitutes in the town of Corinth at various pagan um, temples. And Paul is saying, you don't have that freedom. Like, that doesn't glorify God. That is actually very sinful towards God. And we might think of prostitution as something that is something that we would never do. Something that is not even really talked a lot about in our context of small town Eureka or Woodford County or whatever you live in. Like, you don't hear about it a lot. It was more prevalent and acceptable in the Corinthian society. Not so much here. It's actually... Uh, fairly illegal um, in most places in, in the U.S. So I, I'm going to talk about this in a, in a practical way. Instead of prostitution, which was seen as acceptable and readily available, then as a sexual temptation, se- sexual temptation and a, uh, a way to um, sin in that way, I want to compare this to another cultural relevant topic, and, and, and that is that of porn. I would say outside of the church, Porn is one of those things that it's kind of culturally acceptable as okay. It's one of those things that you don't hear about talking, uh, people talking about it in, in a very negative way outside the church. In fact, when I was your age, when I was in school, in middle school, in high school, people joked about it all the time like it was normal. In fact, I had a, a, a teammate of mine that was on the basketball team when I was in high school uh, that like he said that he had the need. It was so acceptable that it was a a need. Like he was making this argument that, hey, it's like food. My body wants food. It needs food to live. And so I'm going to eat food. He took that literally for sexual temptation in the body. He's like, I need this, this fulfillment for my body. For him, it was a need, not a decision. And so we, when we read this passage and we think prostitution is far off, I actually want you to think at the root of this is the sin of lust, the sin of pride, that it's all about me, that I can fulfill anything that I want. And I want you to think about it with the more modern sexual temptation of, of porn um, and masturbation, maybe even premarital sex, sex outside of marriage in, in, a, in, in that kind of context. Because... All in all, it it has the same root sin issue, whether it's modern-day sexual temptation and sin or whether it was the the sin that the Corinthians were dealing with. It's this having pride and putting bodily desires above glorifying God. It's this thought that my desires need to be fulfilled because I can't say no to myself. I'm putting satisfying myself above what I know God calls me to do. And so both sins, whether it's in the Corinthian church 1,500 years ago, or it's in today's modern-day context. And this really brings us to verse 18. Verse 18, so if you go back to verse 18, if you have it, underline it. It says, flee sexual immorality. 
Every sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who's sexually, who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And it says flee. Paul says, I know this is a temptation. This is something that you uh, want to do. This is something that your sinful flesh desires. And this is something that culture says that is okay to do. He says, but it's not. And you need to run away from it. You need to flee. You need to set up boundaries. You need to have a, a plan and action when you are presented with that temptation to say no and to run away and to flee from sexual immorality. This kind of brings us to this kind of closing question um, that I, I have for each of you tonight. I want you to write this down. Because this is kind of at the core of this passage, this question that the Corinthians were asking, basically asking Paul and how they lived. And it was this question of, you know, does God actually care about what I do with my body? Their lifestyle and how they live to satisfy their own pleasures, their lifestyle and putting themselves above other people, it really comes back to this question. I think a lot of us, we've heard similar things said in, in school, on sports teams of, why does it matter what I do with my own body? I'll choose what I think is best for my body. You can do whatever you want to do with your body. And it kind of comes back to this main concept of ignoring the creator, the one who gave you your body, the one who created you and molded you, the one who loves you and, and died to forgive you of your sins. This question of, does God care about what I do with my body? Hopefully, from tonight's passage, there's an overwhelming, yeah, I think he does. I think God puts parameters on things because he cares about what believers do with their body. Because if we don't have those parameters, we are prone to choose our own flesh desires. We're prone to choose sin. And we know that sin goes against God's original designs and it destroys, it ruins what God had originally intended for his creation. And you see this all over the world. When people choose to go their own way, and Dave talked about this morning, if you go to church here on Sunday morning, he talked about this morning, he said, I think he quoted, he, he said, you know, if you would to look back at yourself, if you're saved and back your unsaved life, and you would look back into the past and see like how you were living your life, more often than not, you are destroying your life because you're choosing your sin over choosing to glorify God. And you see that difference between being saved, or before being saved, and now being saved. Sin destroys, and we're prone to choose our own sinful desires. And so God does care because God has a plan for you. God desires to be in relationship with you. And God wants you to glorify Him with your body. And that starts, if you don't know what that means, and you don't know what that looks like, I think that starts tonight by confessing Him as Savior and Lord of your life. I think that looks like starting to acknowledge that, God, you are the creator of my, of my body. And as creator, you're the person that really owns, owns me, and I'm just renting this space. Dave used that illustration this morning of renting property. 
Like, we are gods, whether you like to admit it or not. And we're just here kind of taking care of the body that he has given us. And so, if you don't know what that looks like, don't, if you don't know what that means, talk to your small group leader. What does it mean to start a relationship with God tonight, to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior? I think that's the first step of caring for your physical body, because your physical body is also tied with a soul. And so, to care for your body and soul is to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And I don't know where each of you are at, but maybe you're here tonight and you're also struggling. You're like, hey, I, I confess Jesus as, Lord, as my Savior and Lord. Like, I know I'm saved, but there's this sin habit that I can't get past, that I know that it's destroying my body, that I'm doing uh, an action that I know I shouldn't be doing, I'm struggling with either sexual temptation or I'm struggling with pride in how I view others. I'm always bullying people. I'm putting down people. I think of myself higher than I ought to. I see that as sin, and I don't know what to do. I would encourage you to talk to your small group leader. One, confess that before God and ask for forgiveness, but then to talk to your small group leader um, afterwards and, and have some accountability around that and get um, someone to walk this journey with you of what it looks like to say no to yourself and say yes to glorifying God. Because in the end, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is our mission. That is the goal. And we need everyone who confesses to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior to be like-minded on that goal, to be unified so that we can be a witness to those who don't know Jesus, who are unsaved, who don't know the good news of the gospel. We need to be unified in that mission so that we can go out to the world, spread the love, and people will see us, see Christ in us as something desirable. Because what happens is if we don't do that, you know what they're going to call you? They're going to call you a hypocrite. they be like, you say this, but you don't live this. Why would I want to follow a God who doesn't call you to live a certain way? Why would I want to follow your God? Because I don't see you loving people very well. Why would I want to follow your God? Because I see you being a bully, or I see you not acting in the way that, you know, Christ actually calls you to live. And we actually ruin our witness for the gospel. So my hope is that as Hype Student Ministries, as, as people who confess Christ as believers in um, Christ as Lord and Savior, that we would be unified on our mission. On our mission in school, on our mission in our families, and on our mission on our sports teams, and, our, and on mission in our homes. That's my prayer. That's my hope for each one of you here tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for all the students um, who are here. God, I just pray that we would be reminded of how much we need you. God, of um, just how much we are prone to choose our own sinful flesh, to choose to satisfy our, our flesh instead of glorifying you. God, I pray that when we are confronted with our sin, that we would confess that to you, and that we would repent, and that you would change our hearts. God, I pray as we go into small groups that we would be honest um, with one another, honest with our leaders. God, that this would be a time to um, be vulnerable and to glorify you. I pray that we would grow closer to you each and every moment of each and every day. We love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.